0: Well, good afternoon, I think, to those of you on the West Coast, and good evening to anybody here on my coast, which is the East Coast. Um, Thank you, Brandon, so much for the introduction, and I hope everyone gets something out of this. So we're going to chat a bit about intellectual property for game dev in general, um, for indies who are producing content, and I'll touch a little bit on... If you're on the side of maybe engaging others, whether it's for your own development project or if you are having some help with any projects that you are working on. So thank you again to Brandon and and the game dev team. And uh, yeah, let's get to it. So briefly, we will touch on. Business entities and formations. Uh, sometimes there, well, oftentimes there's a great reason to work through a business entity. So we'll spend just a few minutes talking about that. Some some helpful tips. Uh, a little bit about contracts and some pretty important points, both in terms of managing your relationships with. Studios and production teams that might be hiring you to create content and work to be incorporated into uh, games and, and other software that they're working on. And also from the side, if you are getting extra help on your team to create some of this and then in depth about the IP. So we'll talk just a little bit about protecting your business with trademarks, or I'm sorry, um, yeah, and protecting your brand and protecting your creation. So a little bit about patents and copyrights also. And just super briefly about shademan Law, we are a boutique firm based in Miami, Florida. We focus on business and intellectual property. We work with entrepreneurs and a lot of creatives, including independent game developers, production studios, um, graphic studios, and others. So, and also a little bit of nonprofits, which we will touch on very, very briefly. So... Having a business, whether even if you are an independent worker, an independent creator, sometimes it is beneficial for you to operate through a business entity, whether it's an LLC or a corporation, or in some cases a nonprofit. Though uh, we'll talk about the connection with nonprofits in, in a different in a different respect. So having a business, it gives you a little bit of liability. So, in the event that something goes wrong with a project you have worked on or a big event like a conference you have put on or some other really anything that you're doing in your work, if you have a business and something goes wrong, that creates a barrier and a degree of separation between your individual assets, your personal assets, and anything. That might be owned by the business. And. Yep. So um, also the business expense. That is a huge, amazing thing that comes with a lot of benefit on the tax side for businesses. I will get into that um, a little bit more briefly. So. All right. So the business expense, if you are doing anything like traveling for your meetings or um, meeting with clients or going to events where maybe your projects are being presented and things like that, then um, having a business is a great way to be able to write off some of those expenses. At the end of the year, when you're filing your taxes, if you have a home office that you're working out of, if you are buying supplies, um, tools, equipment, all of that can start to be written off from um, as business expenses. And if you have an LLC, there's an added benefit of that being a pass-through to your personal expenses. Um, So it's kind of a way to save some money. Common types of business entities, the LLC, it's kind of the simplest, most basic form of business entity, Uh, easy to set up, easy to maintain, gives you the protections from liability that I just mentioned, and also some of the the tax benefits. For-profit corporations, if you are a design studio, if you are a larger company that might be, um, or if you're a startup game house or game studio, you might be considering working with investors. So a couple of years ago, one of our first clients actually was a game development shop. And they basically were looking to take on investors. And we put together an entire deal for their investors and for basically for the upside, for people that were investing in this startup in order for it to have the resources it needs to hire the team, hire their developers, hire their software folks, really to put together the whole team to create this game. Uh, now, I believe they're about four years into development. They have launched their game. They're seeing revenue. Their investors are really thrilled because they're starting to see a return. And there was also this awesome aspect of their business that they started um, where basically a small percentage of their profits were going to um, another nonprofit organization that had a mission for environmentalism and animal welfare, which tied into the theme of their game. Um, so nonprofits are, it's unlikely that as an indie or as a gaming studio that you would incorporate as a nonprofit, but sometimes there are really great partnerships that can be formed between those. So it was just worth mentioning. I kind of already went through some of this stuff. Um, LLC, it can be you or a whole team. Um, You'll want something called an operating agreement. If you're an LLC, if you're a corporation, it would be bylaws. Uh, and for both of these, usually the formation documents are pretty simple. You can usually do them online. But if ever anybody has questions, by all means let us know. We'll be happy to help. The nonprofit, I think we can skip it for now. Um, forming a business for time, we'll skip this. It's pretty, pretty easy, pretty standardized. Each state has kind of made it easy to do online. So importantly, now that you're in business three intellectual property, I'll refer to it as IP, three IP concepts that are going to be pretty important for you. You can protect your company with contracts. K is kind of a shorthand for contract. You can protect your brand with trademarks and you can protect your creations with copyrights and also patents. If you are working on, um, some novel, unique, new technology or software that's being included into your work that might be eligible for a patent. To talk a little bit about contracts. So, contract it's a legal agreement between you and another party, whether you are an independent developer or creator working with a game studio, or if you are a game studio working with contractors or employees. And also, again, if you're an indie and you are working with, maybe you're outsourcing some of your work. Contracts are super, super important. And also very important. A lot of my clients, whether they are the graphic designers or um, storyboard creators um, or the marketing folks, they send proposals for projects to studios that they're working with. Please remember that your proposal is not your contract. If you are being hired to create something, or if you are hiring someone to create something, you really want to have like a, a service agreement. You might call it an independent contractor agreement. You might call it a software development agreement. You might call it any type of agreement, but make sure you have one because it's really going to... Um, set all of the expectations in advance? Uh, What's the project timeline? How do you deal with extensions? What's the payment schedule? If you are someone who is creating for someone else, are you taking a percentage up front? Are you taking chunks at milestones? Um, These are all important things that you should have laid out. Often it gets discussed in the proposal but you also want to make sure that you have it in an actual agreement. Same thing with invoices and payment. How is it made and things like that. Uh, One thing that comes up a lot is revisions. A lot of times my independent clients, they're so excited for big projects, especially when it comes from a big studio house that they say, yeah, you know, it's X dollars is the fee to create this project. And one thing that One thing that they never anticipate is the number of revisions that they end up being asked to make. And sometimes the number of revisions or the types of revisions are so far beyond the scope that the creator had in mind that really at the end of the day, they kind of end up losing money. So make sure that you talk about those things and that your agreements lay it out and ownership. This will come up a little bit more, but you definitely want to outline who owns what in your agreement. We're going to talk about work for hire in just a few minutes. Work for hire. There we go. It's going to be coming up soon. So, IP stuff, trademarks, copyrights, patents. What's the difference between some of this stuff? So you're going to protect your brand with a trademark. Even if you are an independent developer, you might have a company. You might have a reputation that is worthy of protecting. And a trademark is the way to do that. So as you become known for the quality of your work and the services you provide, like Game Dev Unchanged... It's uh, Unchanged, not Unchanged. Game Dev Unchained is developing a reputation, and the best way to protect that is with something like a trademark. You can do a trademark on a federal level with the USPTO, that's the Patents and Trademark Office, or on a state level. State level is usually easier and quicker, but the federal level, especially in the world of gaming and online games, there's, you know, and, and Twitch and Discord, all of this, we really are not a localized industry anymore. We are national, we are global, and having a federal trademark will protect your reputation within all 50 states in the U.S. You can also apply for trademarks internationally. Um, When you are getting to that level, definitely call me for a conversation about that because that's, that's pretty exciting. And thankfully, in recent years, the World Intellectual Property Organization has really simplified the way that companies and individuals in separate countries and different countries can get protection of their trademarks and their brands globally. there's a little bit more about the specifics with the USPTO. For time, I'll, I'll skip it and M- mostly mentioned, I'm happy to share the slides afterwards if anybody's interested. So you protect your copyright or you protect your creation with a copyright. So graphics that you are creating, um, the imagery in the game or in the software, the characters, Sometimes the storyline, all of these things are copyrightable. Um, oftentimes, so if you're being hired by a studio to create something, they're going to expect that they are buying the copyright from you. Um, really, a copyright is a birthright. So when you create something, when you sketch something, when you draw something, when you take it to the computer and make it digital... By virtue of creating that thing, you have a copyright in that creation. Um, It does not need to be registered. There are definitely huge benefits in obtaining registration through the copyright office. The most important one being that if anybody ever infringes your creation, there are statutory damages. That's a fancy legal phrase to mean that... By virtue of having a registration, if anyone infringes, you are able to pursue a certain amount of money that you wouldn't necessarily be able to obtain if you didn't have the registration. And in some cases, the minimum of those statutory damages is $150,000 per incident. So, and when you compare that to the cost of filing a copyright, of all legal things, copyrights are probably the most reasonably priced. I think the filing fee for most copyrights is like $35 uh, and it doesn't take, and and the website is actually very user-friendly, but even if you decide to hire someone like an attorney to do that, it's you know, it's, it's very reasonable. So when it costs you, let's say a couple hundred dollars to obtain a copyright and you, that entitles you potentially to a minimum of $150,000, if anyone should ever rip you off, it really kind of becomes an easy cost benefit analysis. So I mentioned that In the event that someone is hiring you, they are expecting that they are buying the copyright from you. There is some caveat to that if you are employed by the company or whether you are hired as a contractor for the company or for the studio. And same thing on the reverse. If you are an employee, and and for some of you who work independently, I know For a lot of my clients, they also have day jobs, and they're employed in their day jobs, and they moonlight doing extra design work and things at nighttime, which for some is totally cool. If you have an employment agreement or if you are a company offering an employment agreement, in most states, that employment relationship immediately creates the company's right to the ownership and that copyright. This is not the case if you are an independent contractor or if you're hiring someone on a contract basis. If you are dealing in the realm of independent contractor, this is where in contracts we trust. It is imperative to have a written agreement that includes very specific work for hire language. And I put that in quotes because those words have to be used exactly. They're kind of like magic legal words that basically says, I am hiring you to create this work so that I own it because I know that when you create something by virtue of the creation, you own the copyright. But what I am paying you for is that copyright. So if you are hiring someone as an independent contractor, very important to have that language. Um, or if you are a contractor something to look out for. Uh, Because if your expectation is for whatever reason that you're not actually selling the copyright to your work, you want to make sure that you are on the lookout for that language in your contract. But most of the time, Indies, just to let you know, if someone is hiring you to create something, their expectation is that they are going to own the work that you receive. I have had a few incidents where some of my designers have come to me and they've said, I created this thing and the person is saying that they own it, but I, you know, I made it, I own the thing or the design, the characters, the the storyboard, the graphics, all of that. And I have to have sometimes the uncomfortable conversation with my clients that will know, in fact, this person expected that the, that." they were hiring you, they were paying you so that they can own that thing. Because when they don't own it, they are restricted in the way that they can use it. Um, So this is, it's a nuanced thing. It it comes up sometimes. But so just to let you all know, if someone is hiring you, they probably expect they own the copyright and they can kind of do what they want with it. If you have other expectations, make sure that you chat about it in advance. So this is just a, a fun quote. Um, business is the, is the business art is the step that comes after art. So being good in business is the most fascinating kind of art. Making money is art and working is art and good business is the best art. So this is kind of to say that you all are, you all are in the business of creating art. Uh, hopefully some of these things, um, help you to be good at the, at the business side of your art. And before I wrap it up, actually, I kind of went through this a little fast. um, I'm going to talk to you about patents. So, and I know in today's world, especially we have a bunch of our clients are working in the virtual space in the augmented reality space. And a lot of folks are coming up with really new, interesting technology and, or developing Code for gains that is novel. So that's where your patents come in. If you are developing something, so this doesn't apply too much to artistic creation, but if you are working on a project that incorporates a new type of technology, that's where your patents come in. So patents are the more expensive type of IP that you can pursue, um, but oftentimes, worth it and there is a kind of a baby step patent that a lot of my clients like to go after especially in the early stages and that's called the provisional patent as opposed to something like a design patent so with a provisional patent you can kind of place the flag in the ground if you're working on a new technology or a novel software or code that's getting incorporated and it essentially buys you about a year of time to really develop um, that product or that software that you're using. Um, and then another thing, uh, all of this stuff can be licensed. So if you are independently creating things, some of my clients create just for the sake of creation, which is one of the most beautiful things that artists do. So they have ideas that they're working on. They are also... You can do this with your branding as well. Um, And they have these assets. And then instead of selling them off... and, And sometimes clients don't necessarily have the bandwidth to put out the game or put out the new technology themselves there. They just had the idea and they wanted to create with the idea. And some of my clients actually licensed this stuff. I have had uh, one of my clients developed a, uh, a software that combined with uh, virtual reality. He wasn't very interested in the business component of it, but we secured the intellectual property And then with that, we've been able to license it to others. A number of my clients have done this with new software that they've developed um, to be used in different gaming platforms and things like that. And kind of going back to agreements, licensing agreements can be a great way to own IP that you have created, have a revenue stream from it, but also let others use it and kind of roll the ball. So... Just to kind of sum up, you might want to consider a business entity, even if you are an independent designer, creator, um, software developer for gaming, you might want to do all of this through a business. If you are working with businesses, a lot of folks rely on their proposals. They feel that contracts are, are too legally and makes them feel a little funny about their relationships. But a lot of um, complications can be avoided by having contracts. And those, again, can lay out the expectations with payment schedules and also who owns the IP that's being created and how they can use it. And then also the the three ways that you can secure your IP. So maybe a trademark to protect your company and brand and reputation, uh, copyright to officially register and secure in order to be able to enforce the creations that you're making in the event that someone is ripping it off or, or using it even outside of the scope of how they are permitted to use it in their agreements. And then also if you are working on novel tech, um, novel software that is being incorporated into systems, uh, patents are a good way. So that's kind of a really fast overview of some big legal topics. Um, I am always happy to answer questions here. And also separately, I know that I ran through this a bit quickly. I think that's a little bit of, of nerves talking to such a sophisticated industry. Um, But I'm happy to answer questions now or afterwards. So yeah, that's it. Brandon, I know I'm just a few minutes early. (laughs)
1: <laughs> no worries. Uh, I want to thank you for coming on and, and teaching us and, and schooling us the the world of business. I mean, we spent the whole day kind of being creative and and uh, encouraging people to kind of step out into the world and, and and branch out from their regular you know nine to five duties. Uh, business was something mm-hmm. that um, I, I had to learn pretty fast. <laughs> Just all of a sudden, it was never really in my mind. Even entering the industry Mm uh a a possibility and uh it wasn't until finally when when i had to make that that change where i'm finally all attentive and 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 suddenly paying attention to these things so um i want to go straight to some questions here from from the viewers uh this is a question from shadow monarch one uh he's asking or she's asking "What, what are revisions within a contract
0: Oh, sure. So hi, Shadow, and thanks for the question. Uh, I I love questions. I do so much better with question and answer than lecturing. So that also goes to my nerves and speaking to y'all for 30 minutes with no conversation. Thanks for the question. So when I talk about revisions in your contract, so it's not revisions in your contract, so I can talk to you about amending contracts, Uh, It's more about revising the work product that you're being hired to create. So uh, I wish I knew what kind of work you do, Shadow. But so, for example, I have um, I'm trying to think of of a recent one that I dealt with for a client who was actually hired to create the graphics for a game. And she had the storyboard from her client. She knew the gameplay for the client. And it was her task to create the digital universe for this game. And she put together the storyboard. You know, this is what it looks like. This is what the characters look like. This is kind of how they move, how they interact. And her client, which was a studio, they had a number of revisions that they requested. So um, kind of the way that some of the characters interacted, some of the background graphics, some... Some of them were minor revisions like color tweaks and size tweaks and, and perspective, but other components of it, they actually requested for a change in a character development. And that, that part of it was outside the scope of what she considered to be what she had been hired for, because it wasn't that they were asking for her to change the way that she had designed something, it was actually that the studio had changed the storyline for that character. And so she had, and thankfully she had a contract at the time and we did lay out what the studio's expectations were. Everything was very detailed. Uh, and she was able to point to that and say, look, you know, this was the storyline that you gave me for the character. We agreed on these types of revisions in terms of perspective and graphics and things like that. But change in story is outside the scope of what you had hired me for. And so thankfully she was able to point to that. And in her case, the studio said, you know what, we get it. That was kind of our bad. And you know, that that we made this significant change. And we had in her contract um, quotes for, Substantive revisions like that. And so, thankfully, in her case, she was able to explain it to them and then get paid at her hourly rate to make those changes. Uh, As opposed to some clients that have come to me with similar scenarios, but they didn't have contracts. And then we kind of had to negotiate a bit of an awkward conversation with their clients and kind of make some sacrifices in order to please the studio or the, the the dev shop that they were working with in order to maintain the relationship and also um, make sure that those clients weren't spending, you know, twice as much time on a project that they had already estimated and priced out.
1: Fantastic. Uh, this is a follow up, uh, another question from Don Sue. So uh, he's trying to figure out if I can, if he can show a company or client work publicly. So this is a very common issue with developers who have a lot of NDA work and when their contract is done, you know, it's not public yet. I mean, what's the safest way to kind of show
0: work? So... Does that mean I think that what they mean by that what Don means by that is whether it can be included like in his portfolio or in his personal marketing for work that he has done yes. you, you you think that's what he's asking right brandon
1: right basically they're 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 looking for a new job but they have a lot of in like NDA work that they can't publicly show
0: yeah yeah definitely and and I think I kind of skimmed over that in an earlier slide. So I'm glad that, that that question was asked. So the answer, which is a very lawyerly answer, is it depends. I very rarely, I, I hate saying that because it's like such a stereotypical lawyer answer, but it really does depend on what the NDA says. I'm so glad, Don, that you asked that question. Um, because a lot of times, if you are receiving a contract from a studio or a company that is hiring you. Um, a lot of my clients feel so excited to be securing sometimes really big projects, but they're nervous to ask for any revisions to the contract um, or any basically to negotiate the contract. But like 90% of the time, the contracts are negotiable. So when you see something like a non disclosure or a non compete, read it see what it says if it says categorically that you cannot share the work that you do ever that's usually not the case but sometimes contracts are not created by attorneys they're you know maybe downloaded from online or something like that or sometimes they're drafted by really aggressive attorneys i tend to be a collaborative attorney and all of our contracts are really drafted to be about creating a relationship not about one side like getting the best over the other so in that what we usually do our approach is usually to create um, a flexible NDA so we might ask um, a contractor to not publish anything until the game gets published and usually there's a process for notifying people when that happens And most of the time, we totally allow clients to incorporate work that they have done in their portfolios or to market it in their social media or on their website, things like that. So if you have a, so if your non disclosure says not to talk about anything while it's all in development, That's kind of fair. On the other hand, if it says that you can't ever share the work that you're doing as part of your own portfolio and personal marketing, I would say that's probably something that can be discussed. I would be surprised if that was necessarily the person's intention to restrict you from ever being able to incorporate that into your portfolio.
1: Okay. Uh this question is from our moderator. So this is uh so if this if he was hired to art direct uh, X amount of videos and and direct other freelancers and the client takes the project by giving it to uh, I'm probably gonna have to read this a couple of times giving this to their internal producer when he is 80% done saying that he did not finish the X amount of videos, thus they do not owe him any payment, even though the content is completed without the last 20%, what should he do or what should he have done or can do?
0: Okay. So you might have to run that by me again. Um, So person was hired to create a certain number of videos and they delivered Not the entire, not all of the videos, but enough videos for whatever purpose it was being hired for?
1: Yes. Mm -hmm. So basically, he he finished 80% of the work, but they Mm -hmm. took the remaining 20% and ended up avoiding payment.
0: Oh, yeah. So kind of like you didn't do everything. So we don't owe you anything. Exactly. Argument. Yes. Yeah. Um, Generally not cool. I think, Um, (laughs) though, I will say that right now I'm actually dealing with that scenario on the other side where a client hired um, my client hired someone to create um a software. So in this case, this isn't relating to, to to games or to gaming, but it is software. It's um analogous. So it was it's an app. And the dev shop claims that they did everything they were supposed to do. My client is saying that they didn't and the work products that they received had was so incomplete and had so many bugs that they weren't able to use any of it. So this is something that I'm, I'm actively trying to sort out between these people. Um, and a lot of times, again, that will come down to what the contract says and also what the relationship is between the company. And I I have seen this on both sides, which makes it a bit of a difficult question to answer specifically because circumstances can be so different. In the event that you have created work product and you have delivered work product and that work product is being used I think that that is the key. So even if it might be considered incomplete on either side of it, if that work product is being used, I think there is definitely room for figuring out it might not be 100% of the payment because it wasn't 100% of the work. But certainly if your work is being used, you are entitled to be compensated for your time and your effort and the value that the other side received from your work, even if it wasn't 100%. On the other hand, if you have, let's say, created 80% of what needed to be created and you delivered that product, and then that product was unusable and the client is saying this is only 80% percent and we're we're not able to use it. There's a difference between not being able to use it and not and not using it because able to use it, I think that that's more important. You're able to, if you choose not to, that's your choice. You still have to compensate the person. But in the event that they cannot, um, that I think is is a bigger conversation. Um, to sort out, because in that case, it could be arguable that the work that you were hired to deliver was in fact incomplete, even though you delivered um, a majority of the work. Uh, if it's unusable and therefore incomplete, um, it might be, it, you might be in breach of the agreement that you were hired to perform. So that's a that's a really interesting and complicated question to answer, which I would be thrilled to have more information and and to discuss more. Um, so I hope that helps a little bit, at least to to help you put into perspective kind of where you're at um, in that situation.
1: Yeah, I think that totally makes sense. I mean, if any of the content's being used. Uh, or you you choose not to I think it also always goes back to the original contract what was promised and if it was delivered Um, so this is a a question from Nightwolf Uh, when using copyright royalty free assets, models, music code should the sources be included within the credits or should they be contacted or just do not bother contacting and use at free will Depending on popularity, uh, ranging from little-known indie with a smaller subscriber mailing list to millions of fans like Netflix.
0: Okay, so copyright using copyright royalty-free meaning like from open source, from like uh, Creative I, I Commons think, type work.
1: Right, I, I think uh, I think openly okay work that's been sanctioned copyright free uh do you still need to give the credits
0: so and for those situations oftentimes i know like for creative commons and and other folks who give open source um content everyone still likes to receive credit and attribution um depending on where you're getting that content from, they might have some guidelines on use. So you might not need to, if it's open source, you you most often don't need to ask permission. That's why it's there. It's in the public domain. It's fair use. It's free use. You can use it. Um, And a lot of times even that sort of stuff doesn't require attribution or credit. I know that some, I'm trying to think, I was just dealing with this I feel like just earlier today or yesterday actually, where a client was using graphics from an open source, but the open source, it was community open source. So it was community con- community contributed content, so many Cs. And people could use the content freely, openly, no need to request permission but they still ask just for creative credit. Um, so, you know, check what the guidelines are from the source that you're receiving it. Um, I always tend to err on the side of caution. And also because I work with so many creatives, I always tell them like, you're creative, how, what would you want in that situation? And a lot of times, you know, people like credit, even if they're not getting any money from it, uh, that's totally fine. So just just check what the guidelines are. Often those sources have some guidelines. But generally if it's open source, request is not required.
1: Okay. Um so we're we're at the we're end of the questions. hour. And uh, if I don't see any more questions coming in, I, I kind of ask want to ask one last one, and this is from me. Uh, so working with a lot of creatives, yeah. uh, obviously, uh, what are the, the common mistakes that you keep seeing uh, us creatives uh, approaching you with? And what would be an easy yeah. way to kind of avoid all that?
0: Yeah, so... The... Proposal not being a contract. That's a huge one, especially right now because of COVID and so many things have just kind of imploded and exploded and things just changed so drastically, so quickly. It's really brought this to light a whole lot for our clients. Um, most of our clients, well, now they have contracts because they have to you know, they talk to me on a regular basis, but a lot of times before they came to us and, and in general, I, I work a lot in the visual art space and most creatives are, that's what that quote is all about. Most creatives are focused on their craft and they're not oftentimes thinking about the business component of it. Um, and, this might seem like super businessy or lawyerly of me to say, but there's no shame in having business savviness and also being a creator. And this is a conversation. So I am um, I'm part of a local organization down here called Creative for Creatives, and the the biggest thing that we've been talking about recently is contracts. Everybody is asking me about contracts because. They've been hired for work that they didn't have contracts for, and now projects have had to be postponed or canceled or rescheduled. And people are saying, you know, well, can we get our deposit back because this is postponed, or you know, our event, our showcase isn't happening, and um, you know, people are being hired to create like the graphic for it or the the experience of it. One of my clients is. Um, an experienced creator for, um, for showcase events and, and, and people, a lot of conversation right now is happening around, you know, deadlines being postponed and things like that. And, and what happens and, and really COVID or no COVID, I think COVID is just kind of bringing all this to light for a lot of people, but really having a contract and as best as I can for my, creative clients, I try to keep them as simplified as possible. So they're not intimidating, but the whole point is that you are setting out on, on, on a venture with a team and you're developing a relationship, whether it's a short-term one for a single project or hopefully a long-term one for many projects into the future and just having those conversations in the beginning about what are the expectations, how do we deal with changes and with some challenges? I know that can be tough, but talking about it and preparing for it and then documenting that just to make sure that as things come up, um, you have something to look to to say, you know what, we talked about this and, and this is what we thought would be a good resolution. So contracts really um, are, are really really very important, and they don't have to be, you know, twenty-page legally scary documents. They can be just a couple pages.
1: I, I completely agree with you. I think, um, I think in, in many aspects, it just helps both parties come to agreement before any work gets started. And uh, mm-hmm. it's 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 a daunting conversation where a lot of it's just mm-hmm. miscommunication, uh, especially mm-hmm. uh, when you're in the middle of the project or near the end of the project, uh, mm-hmm. it becomes. Uh, I don't think there's a, that much ill will when it comes to at the end of things. I think it literally just comes down to people not understanding or not putting down on paper what exactly was supposed to be promised and delivered.
0: Mm-hmm. And like you said, mm-hmm. it, it can
1: just you know just do the homework before, <laughs> like anybody.
0: Yeah, uh, and 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 it really doesn't have to be a daunting conversation. So um, I personally like I'm I'm such a lover of people and art and creation and relationships and uh, you know i have so many conversations and so many of my clients actually ask me to take the lead in having those conversations with them or for them and really when you approach it from the perspective of this is a really exciting thing that we're doing together and you know, let's just make sure that, you know, we're on the same page and and we both know what we're wanting and expecting and needing. It can really, the conversation can really be had, um, you know, with language of collaboration and teamwork and not like, you know, it, it doesn't have to be intimidating. It doesn't have to be, you know, different sides of a contract. It can be a team coming together and just, you know, like documenting what, what they're going for. So, um, so yeah, I know that for a lot of people, again, especially my creatives, my creative clients, it, when they think about it on their own, it can seem like such an intimidating thing. And I'm so glad that they come to me with these questions and that we can talk about it because then they, most of the time come to realize like, wow, you're, you're right. This, it's not about them, it's definitely not about versus me. It's about us coming together to do something fun. So it doesn't have to be daunting.
1: I definitely agree. I think having someone like you to kind of help with the process is uh, is money well spent. Uh, you know, I, I think uh, mm. you know as as we go into this this figuring this out, and, and especially small businesses and creatives kind of branching out, uh, getting the help is very necessary uh doing the research mm-hmm. as you can but i think getting professional help to kind of make sure that you're all set up correctly uh can go a long way so uh, i want to thank you yeah. Jessica, uh, for joining us uh,
0: yeah thank for you the
1: first day at g and capping us off and again
0: Yay! Uh, oh, about my a pleasure. Really
1: important issue and uh as always oh, i'm so glad yeah before i even uh turn off the broadcast for today i'm gonna go over and switch back to you where i hang over the mic where you can shout out give attention to where people can find you uh on social media uh your website all this stuff uh i'm there's actually a lot more questions uh that people are kind of pouring in at every aspect when it comes to business law so i think if anything they can extend the conversation within our discord or, or message you directly
0: yeah, totally. I'm I'm so glad that there are so many questions as the attorney even though I have such a creative heart. Um I am an attorney at the end of the day and so when I come to an environment like this, I always feel like this stuffy attorney which is why I never wear a suit, I think. So I'm I'm so thrilled that people are are so interested and have questions and and for all of you, I'm always happy to have a conversation about things. I like to tell people that you know conversations friendly chats are always free so Shradman law is the law firm i know that that last name is is a handful s h r a y b m a n the website is shradmanlaw.com this phone number on the screen if you all if it's still there 305 305- Two zero four eighteen thirty five, and then on Facebook we have a Shreman Law page. On LinkedIn we have a Shreman Law page, and on Instagram also at Shreman Law. So you know, pretty straightforward. So you can find us anywhere. And you just have to remember how to spell the name. So yeah, call us, email us. Um, I love chatting with creatives. So thanks everybody for being interested in this, and Brandon, thanks for for having me involved. It was a lot of fun.
1: Well, thank you so much for coming on, and uh, we'll, we'll talk to you soon. I definitely have my own questions and follow-up just to clean up the books Yay. a bit. <laughs> so thank you. Cool. Love always.
0: it. Yeah, sounds good. Sounds good. Have a great evening.
1: You too. This is- You can also follow me on Twitter at Blue Champs, B-L-U-C-H-A-M-P-S. You want to catch these episodes live every Tuesdays and Thursdays, go to twitch.tv forward slash blue underscore champs. Email me any of your concerns or questions that you want me to read aloud at the beginning of each episode at info at And if you want to further support us and help unlock the next feature, which is the voicemail feature, go to patreon.com